what we're really dealing with, and nobody wants to talk about it, they might want to blame the Russians or something, but what we're really dealing with is that these systems have built-in ability to corrupt elections, and somebody wants it that way. You're listening to the Unframe of Mind Show, the place to have the most mind-stretching, unprotected intellectual intercourse of your life. Your host, Daniel Wagner, battles the forces of evil by lobbing fiery balls of truth, reason, and evidence over safe room walls. So welcome back to another episode of the Unframe of Mind show, where we're having uncomfortable conversations without a condom. And I'm your host, Daniel Wagner. As I was doing research for an upcoming article about voter fraud, meddling, and straight-up corruption in the election process, I came across the work of two amazing women who have been fighting this crap for over a decade. These ladies each have done their fair share of research, activism, and legal battling to help bring attention to these issues and to call truth to power. I had the chance to speak with both of them about their experiences and their diagnosis of the problem, as well as steps we can take to fix the issue. First, I spoke with Lynn Landis, owner of TheLandisReport.com. Lynn is a Philadelphia-based writer, researcher, and activist passionate about politics, health, and environmental issues. Her articles and opinions have been published in several books, films, and online publications, and since 2002, she has been one of the nation's leading researchers and analysts on voting security issues. So, Lynn, tell me what got you interested in voting issues. It was when it was the Bush-Gore election, when the problem with the count happened, and I saw in the newspaper the name of a friend of mine, and I called her up. I said, what's going on? And she's the one that told me about, you know, how easily these things can be uh, changed. The key issue is not hacking into, it's rigging from the inside. If you don't get anything else across, get that across and tell people, you know, over 80%, 85% of these um, elections across the country and in other countries are being run by ES&S. And they're even doing registration, by the way, also. So they can screw around with that if they want. These things she's referring to are the voting machines. For my project, I had at first thought that this was a minor issue in comparison to many of the other potential election violations I had already researched. I had no idea how far down the rabbit hole I would be taken throughout the course of my conversation with Lynn. So just like they can hack into your your phone and hack into the TV, I mean, the government's been able to hack into all kinds of things for decades. I mean, even before the cell phone, they could hack into stuff. And actually, there's a whole article about how they uh, changed the numbers on the election in uh, Cincinnati, Ohio. And, and that was Bell Telephone was involved in that and the government. So they've been able to change votes forever. And in fact, on my Landis Report Don Santo thing, I have a quote of his at the very top and says, and this is a quote, if you did it right, no one would ever know. And this was Craig D. Bonsanto, who was the head of the Department of Justice's election crimes uh, branch from 1970 to 2010. And he said this in 1989. She went on to detail her interaction with the Voter News Service, an exit polling consortium formed in 1990 by six major U.S. news media organizations, ABC News, CBS News, NBC News, CNN, Fox, and the Associated Press. Its mission was to provide results for U.S. presidential elections so that individual organizations and networks would not have to do exit polling and vote tallying in parallel. So this voter news service, I got very intrigued with, they changed their name, but it's it's the same thing that they refer to every year. And I got very curious as to where they were located. I found their, their office and I, and I actually walked up and, 
and I looked around and, you know, introduced myself, not exactly. I, I called up and said, I somehow got another address. Let me say that. I got another address because they said, this isn't where they do election nights. Where, you know, and they wouldn't give away where they did the, their election night tabulating. Like, oh, all these people call in and say, this is, you know, these are the results of my exit poll. So I looked up this number. I got this guy answers who was clearly a workman. I feigned that I, I said, oh, I, I meant to, I meant to get the offices, not, this isn't, you're not located at so-and-so. Anyway, he gave me his location. And I went there. My husband and I drove up and we went there. And it was in a building that was um, one of these uh, old factory buildings that's divided up into little factories, like some, on one floor they're making t-shirts and on another floor they're doing something. Well, on this floor, this door looked like the door to a vault. And we could see that there were these, like, big cables going in. And it had a little piece of paper, little piece of paper with VNS scribbled on it. But it looked like, it looked like a door to a vault. It didn't look like an ordinary door. I mean, I was just really scared. What I think is happening is this. I think on, on election night, they have huge, they've got a computer room set up where people are getting directly the results of different elections. I think that's the room that they try to switch over votes and uh, manipulate directly the vote counting results of that night. Like, for instance, what we found out in Philadelphia was that they take the cartridges from these machines they take them to eight police district offices around the city, and they upload them. And the election commission doesn't get these cartridges until the next day. So whatever can go up can come back. So are they uploading, or is are the election results being downloaded into these cartridges? I think it's both things are happening. They're uploading the information. They're looking at all these, you know, how can they move this and that? And then they're downloading it back so that when it goes to the election commission the next day, it's reading the way they want it to read. So basically, VNS, ran by those six major news media organizations, has everyone's vote funneled into a central location where God only knows what kind of tampering could be done. And then they are broadcast from there. They're secretive about their location vague about what their processes are, and the average voter can never peek into their procedures to validate the results. Lynn, in, in your experience, what happens when you try to bring up these things to other people? There was a group of, of scientists, claim to fame was they, they showed how you could hack into a voting machine. But when I emailed one of them or, and talked to one of them and said, uh, well, what about rigging? This guy actually says to me, he actually says, well, I mean, do you think somebody's going to join a company uh, with, the, you know, with the express purpose of rigging elections and they hire him? I'm like, no, they own the company. I mean, are you a moron? <laughs> the, the the naivety of these of, of of this these brilliant geniuses at Princeton is unbelievable. And you know what? It's all about. Nobody wants to be accused of being a conspiracy theorist. 
And she went on to explain how companies like ES&S claim that there's no way to hack into their machines wirelessly, which, as it turns out, is a bit of a red herring. There are certainly other opportunities for changes to be made to the system. If you were going to say, oh, now we've, now we've got these machines, so they can't even be hacked wirelessly, then you know who does it? The people who come in to change the names for each election. That's exactly when they could they could decide who's going to vote how. Exactly. They have to change the names for each election. So when that happens, that is the time they can decide who wins and who loses. They're, they're showing how this, the actual the way we're voting is a complete fraud. And it can be easily manipulated by the people on the inside. And, and that's the thing, is that they keep talking about hacking these elections instead of friggin' rigging them. And that's what you have to worry about, is rigging, you know, and hacking on the outside. But, but the easiest thing to do is rig. When, when you're talking about rigging an election, and yet the news media never, ever covers the company that is counting most of the votes. The reason the news media won't cover it is because they're involved my conversation with Lynn had my head spinning. I had no idea the amount of possibilities and opportunities for manipulation that were available throughout the entire election chain of custody. From the time the voter registers, their time at the polls, the handling of the vote after the voters participate, all the way until the politician is officially announced as the winner. Always a glutton for punishment, I decided to take another swing at chatting with another longtime warrior in the battle for fair and honest elections, introducing Bev Harris, founder of BlackBoxVoting.org. Now, Black Box Voting is an organization that performs nonpartisan investigative reporting and public education for elections. Bev is known for her groundbreaking work in electronic voting machines, her reporting about voter lists, election chain of custody, transparency problems with absentee voting, election industry corporate governance, and financial accountability in elections. So basically, there's, there's no part of the election process that Ms. Harris won't touch. I asked Bev if she could shed a little light on who actually owns the voting machines. There's only a few companies. There are very political people involved. The ownership changes hands technically fairly frequently and is very hidden still. For example, it was recently found out that a machine sold by election systems and software is the same machine sold by Dominion under a different name. Same software, that's weird. And in 2012, an entity in which Mitt Romney's son was an owner bought one of the main voting machine companies, Hard Inner Civic. That's weird. I mean, the guy's running for office and his son is involved in buying the voting machine company that's going to count a lot of his votes in swing states. But bigger than that, we don't even really still know who owns ES&S. We still don't know who actually are the uh, beneficial owners of Dominion, which is the one that bought Diebold. ES&S still runs a lot of the Diebold system as well. It's very incestuous. One of the things that's actually kind of a hallmark of this is that these companies, every time they get in hot water, they sort of transfer to new ownership and it gets more and more opaque. Now they're using these limited liability companies, so you really don't know the names of the people at all anymore. So basically, as people started catching onto their game, the owners of these companies continued to burrow deeper and deeper behind LLCs and other legal frameworks to keep people from ever knowing who is involved in the manufacturing of these voting machines. What we're really dealing with, and nobody wants to talk about it, they might want to blame the Russians or something, but what we're really dealing with 
is that these systems have built-in ability to corrupt elections, and somebody wants it that way. On top of that, these machines, in many cases, are so easy to hack that just about anyone with two brain cells to rub together could figure it out. There's been news that uh, a 10-year-old girl was able to, or an 11-year-old girl was able to hack it in 10 minutes uh, this year in, in a, at DEF CON in Las Vegas. Well, in 2004, we taught a chimpanzee to change the vote total. Are you sh- Wow. <laughs> we went to the, uh, yeah, it was, it was a smart chimpanzee. He was a, 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 a star in a German TV series. <laughs> it was Baxter. But we tra- but we went to one of those uh, places that, you know, trains wildlife for films, mm-hmm. and they trained him to do it in two hours. That's crazy. So it, yeah, and they're not, they're still using that same system. So what's the solution? I mean, what can we do to make sure that our elections are as free from fraud as humanly possible? I like the idea of everybody being able to see the ballots or the or the images, see the images right away online and see the ballots whenever they want. They can walk in there and compare them. Like you could pick a precinct or a subset or however you want to do it, and you could just see are they, you know, the same thing. Each ballot should be tied to the physical ballot. Each image should be tied to the physical ballot with just having a number on it. And they should put them all online right away so everybody can do their own recount. It would solve so many things. Well, that sounds simple enough. Why don't, why don't we just do that? But here's the thing. Existing law allows this in most places, and existing voting machines do this already in most places. So it doesn't even cost any money or require any new law. So that's why I say it's been solved. But because of that, they're now starting to destroy the stuff. And our friend from earlier in the show, Lynn Landis, suggests that we need to take it even farther, suggesting that there's only room for paper ballots and hand counts at the polls on Election Day. Now, there are laws already on the books that require election officials to maintain election records and paper ballots for a minimum of 22 months after an election. But, according to codified law, quote, any officer of election or custodian who willfully fails to comply with this section shall be fined not more than $1,000 or imprisoned not more than one year or both, end quote. Seems like an easy decision to me. I mean, if I'm determined to win an election and the penalty, if I'm ever caught, is only $1,000, it's it's totally worth the risk, especially when you consider the potential money to be made once you've secured your position. Take Miss Bev's example of the Florida election between Tim Cavanaugh and Debbie Wasserman Schultz. The Debbie Wasserman Schultz election, primary election in Florida, she was running against a candidate named Tim Canova, C-A-N-O-V-A. This is really worth a Google because he asked to see the ballot images. Florida Sunshine Law is very clear that they have to show him. And they said, well, we destroyed them all. So he said, okay, well, then let me see the ballots because Florida law re- allows that, right? And they said, oh, we destroyed those too. Now, federal law is very clear that they have to retain those for 22 months. So he complained to the state Absolutely nothing was done to this election official. He took it to court. The court, you know, said, yes, you have to keep them, but nothing was done. She simply destroyed the evidence. In other kinds of lawsuits, if you go to a civil suit, you know, or your ex-wife is suing you and trying to find your assets or something, and you say, oh, no, 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 I destroyed all my records, the court called that spoliation of evidence. And the assumption is if you have engaged in spoliation of evidence that you have something to hide and they can use that to find against you. 
So we've got a scenario where election officials are responsible for maintaining paper records for 22 months, and if they violate that law, the fine is a thousand bucks. It's nearly impossible for citizens to view the paperwork or the digital image files, and when they want to audit the voting machines, well, I'll just let Ms. Harris take it from here. And let me just bring up one more thing. There was a recent bill being put forth by Congress called the Election Security Act. And one of the things it wanted, I wasn't entirely on board with it, but it was better than nothing, was that there would be some team of auditors who would then go and look at the actual ballots and see, you know, some percentage of them and see if they match the reported results. Well, at the last minute, they cut that part out of it and said, no, you know, nobody can go look at it. We'll have a machine look at itself, right? Ridiculous. And so most of the election integrity people kind of pulled out their support at that time. So a Politico did an article on it, and they asked uh, Klobuchar, Amy Klobuchar, uh, who is one of the sponsors of it, why did you pull this out? And she said, well, we were facing a lot of resistance from the vendors and the state. Now, think about that carefully. You're a manufacturer of a voting system, and they are saying, ah, we want to audit it. And you're saying, we resist that. What the heck? Why do you even have a dog in that fight? Why is it even your business if somebody wants to check it? That is bizarre. And it tells you all you need to know. These places are crooked. So are we making any progress in this arena since you started taking a magnifying glass to the voting process? The thing is, and the reason it's important to get to my website, blackboxvoting.org, is the issue with the voting machines has been solved, but there is a, a lot of non-cooperation in terms of implementation of the solutions now. But the problem has been solved, and there are a few places that are going along with the solution, and so it's not the voting machines are not a problem anymore in that situation. All of the new voting machines take a picture of every ballot, and they save it as a uh, like a TIFF file or an image file, and uh, when done properly, it has a number on it that's unique to that ballot that can then be, and, and under public records law in most states, anybody can go examine the actual ballots, and so you could find the corresponding ballot. In other words, if you take a picture, yes, someone could manipulate the picture then, but if it is if it is connected to the actual ballot and you have the right to examine both of them, uh, it's almost impossible to tamper with both the picture and the actual ballot and make everything match up. So it is technically possible for anybody to do their own recount of anything. However, what is now the battleground is that election officials, now that they have found out that these pictures are being taken by the modern voting machines, they're destroying the pictures. Slightly different problem. That is a problem of corruption. And by the way, I would say the majority of them are immediately destroying the pictures and blocking access for the citizens to ever look at the real ballot, although it is a freedom of information right. So there you have it. Clearly there's some problems with the election process and the voting process, and something needs to be done. I'd like to thank Lynn and Bev for taking the time with me to discuss these important issues, especially as the next election is getting closer. If you want to learn more about what these two ladies have going on, be sure to visit their websites at thelandisreport.com and blackboxvoting.com. My name is Daniel Wagner, and you've been listening to the Unframe of Mind show. And if you like this episode and would like to hear more like it, 
The best thing you can do to help me out is to head over to your favorite podcast playing site and give me a rate and review and tell me what you think about the show. I'd love to hear from you. Wow, was that not the best ideagasm you've ever had? Want to do it again? Go to unframeofmind.com to find more mind-stretching, world-altering podcasts, videos, and articles, and get those critical thinking juices flowing.